We're doing a series through uh, 1 Peter, which has, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Especially last week, eh? Who was here last week? Who felt, who felt God spoke through Kev's preach about spiritual warfare? Just fantastic. I needed to hear it. I don't know about you, but I think we probably don't hear enough about spiritual warfare. And um, I think maybe some people are so nervous uh, talking about the devil, think, well, maybe, you know, we don't want to focus on the devil. Of course we don't. But I think there is a military angle to the Christian life. And um, can you imagine a group of generals getting together to discuss their strategy and not mention what the enemy's doing? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine it? You know, they're talking about the strategy and then someone just brings up the fact, well, the enemy are moving in. Someone goes, shh, shh, shh. we don't want to focus there. Well, of course you don't want to focus there, but you need to know so that you can combat. Yeah? You need to know what, what we've had some spies out, the enemy's been deployed, they're coming around the flank. Okay, we need to set up some defences and get ready for that. Yeah? So it's so important that we do speak about what the enemy does, what Satan does. I mean, the Apostle Paul says we're not ignorant of his schemes, and I think many times we are. Maybe I, maybe I speak for myself, many times I am. I get caught out too late, you know? And I just think, why is it, you know, for the last couple of weeks I've just been under a cloud or in confusion or other stuff, you know, and, and I haven't even cottoned on to what could be going on. And then someone mentions spiritual warfare or Satan, and you're like, oh, maybe that's it. So you put a few defences up and swipe your sword a few times and it all clears up. And you think, oh man, that was good. And I just think we need to not be nervous speaking about Satan. I just want you to assure you that he will never be the focus of our church. Jesus always will be. But I think it's equally as foolish to just not mention these things. And it just really betrays an ignorance on these things. So we don't want to go down that road. So we're going to, um, hopefully there's some more things that are going to come through the passage today that will help to um, keep us alert and on, and on guard with those things. The main points from last week were having our minds prepared for action. Do you remember that? Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. And what he's saying there is, in the old days they used to wear the cloaks and they would pull them in and tuck them into their belt if they were going to run somewhere or do some work. And he's saying, gird, in the, gird up the loins of your mind, tuck your mind in. And remember, we looked at that as a very helpful image. And then we looked at being sober in spirit, being collected, not just being a loose cannon, but being collected and, not, you know, and, 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 and being just a, a sense of sobriety of spirit. You know, you're, kind of, you're not just kind of off the planet, but you know what's going on, your feet are on the ground. And we looked at setting our hope on the grace that will be revealed when Jesus returns. So they were the main points from last week. And um, I want to pick up at verse 14. And um, we'll, take it, we'll take it down, I think, to verse 17. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Sorry, verse 19. So Peter, again, he's just uh, he's, he's exalting the, the people he's writing to. Remember the opening verses, he's telling you, God has done this. He's caused you to be born again. He's washed you. He washes you with the blood of Jesus. He's regenerated you by the Spirit. And it's all what God does. And that's always got to be the order. You've always got to think, first of all, I am what I am because God has worked on me. If you're here today and you're a born again Christian, it's because God has worked on you. 
He didn't just stumble into it. It wasn't just, well, you're that sort of person. You're a religious type. It's not true. God has worked on you the miracle of regeneration. You've been born again. You're not... To be aware of that before we get on to, so what must I do? And it's very, very, very dangerous to start with what must I do? Because you develop a Christianity, a faith and a walk with God that is so focused on your own performance and so unaware of what God has done and what God is doing that your focus can become yourself and, and what you've achieved and it can all become very works orientated rather than grace and God orientated. And I feel like one of our biggest dangers is to lose who God is. Lose the glory and the grace of God. Lose the wonder of God. Lose God's activity. As soon as we do that, your head goes down. You wonder a few weeks or months or maybe days down the line you're thinking, I'm weary. Because you're just looking at yourself and you just, your head's gone down and we need to keep our heads up. So Peter starts with the glory of who God is and what God's done. But then he says, now listen, there's certain ways you need to respond. And we looked at some of those last week and here this week we're going to just work through those verses. First he says, as obedient children. He assumes they're obedient. Why? He just assumes, as obedient children. He doesn't say, no, you really need to be obedient. He says, as obedient. Why? Because they're believers. Or you could describe them as trusters. And obedience is a symptom of trust. Disobedience is a symptom of mistrust. So with our children at the moment, we're on this big thing, we're, we're trying to help them to obey us cheerfully. It's very funny. Um, they don't do it naturally. <laughs> we, have, we have lots of fun. The Victorine has developed this new thing now where, it's very funny, where <laughs> um, she showed me this morning, her and Daisy had been rehearsing it. Where Davina says, Daisy, please could you? And before Davina says anything, Daisy says, Yes, mummy, I'd love to do that for you. And it's lots of fun and it's very contrived and Daisy knows it is, don't worry. But it's all a good fun thing. But we're trying to teach them to obey us joyfully. And what we're learning is, is that very often they don't obey us. Why? Because they actually think that what we're saying isn't the best thing, they know better. Yeah, that's why. You think, yeah, you stay in tidy my bedroom, but actually it, it will be much better to play with my bouncy ball. Yeah, so it's an issue of trust or mistrust. And it's exactly the same with us and God. See, sometimes God tells us to do things that either we wouldn't naturally do or are outside of our comfort zone or to be honest, we just think, I don't want to do it. I'm too tired. I haven't got it in me or whatever. But we feel like the Holy Spirit is, is prompting us to do it. And at that point, the question is this. Do you trust him? Do you trust that what he says is best? Do you trust that he knows better? Do you trust that actually he is wiser than you? Because if you do, you'll obey even though you can't quite see why. And we've all been in those situations. If you've followed the Lord for more than a few months, you know what I'm talking about. He says something and you think, oh, that wasn't what I expected to hear. No one had that. Or he's saying, God, speak to me, speak to me. And you, you've got it figured out what he's going to say. <laughs> and then he says something else. And you're like, oh, this isn't funny. You were supposed to, I was supposed to seek you and you were supposed to say that. Yeah? You know the thing, you're going to give God the script, you ever done that? And he's like, no, I'm saying this. You think, oh, what do I do? Well, do you trust him? Because if you trust him, you'll obey. If you don't obey, it's symptomatic of something else. It's symptomatic of the fact that you don't trust him. You think that he doesn't know better than you. You think that he's not as wise as you are. And so Peter says, as obedient children. And then he says this, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I love this phrase. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed. The passions of your former ignorance are still there. 
If you're a believer, you're born again, but you've still got these passions that really are a lot more to do with your former ignorance, your life before you were a Christian when you didn't know better. But they're still there, all right. Anyone ever experienced that? Yeah? A few people know about that, yeah? They're still there, and they will come, and they will want you to conform. They will want to draw you into what they're doing. Actually, before, I should have said this at the start, and I forgot to say it. I, I really would love today to be interactive. Because I'm going to try and help you how to follow the law today and do spiritual warfare. And I, I would love you to be able to ask questions and say, well, what, how does it, what does this look like? How does that, how, you know, you think, well, you said that stuff, but what about then? I think, I think that would help us really this morning with some of the stuff we're looking at. Okay, you happy to do that? Yeah. Okay. Please do. I know for some of us it's more awkward to ask things publicly and some of us find it easier. But look, just blow it. Okay, let's, we're here to learn and here to grow. So, so we have these passions of our former ignorance. Let's look at this term, former ignorance. What is this saying? This is saying that before we were Christians there was an ignorance there. We didn't get it. We didn't understand it. We didn't understand Jesus. We didn't make sense. Someone says, Jesus is the Son of God. You think, well, that's nice for you. That's lovely for your truth, but my truth is something else. And we didn't get it. We didn't see it. Suddenly God opens our eyes. We go, oh, God, he's the Son of God, of course. I give him my life, yeah? But not only that, because I think if you just say it's ignorance, you can think, well, we're victims, you know, poor old us. The Bible teaches our disobedience leads to our ignorance. So it's actually that sense of not wanting to know God which leads to the ignorance, you see. So there's this dynamic going on there. We're willful and rebellious to God. We don't really want to know him, naturally. But that leads to an ignorance where we can't therefore see him. And so when we talk to people about God, they're like, I don't know what, I don't know what you mean, because we can't see him. And Peter says this, associated with that ignorance are these passions. Because you can't see God, who is the one who was actually made for your passion, you go to other things and express your passion there. Very often, just base, natural, corrupt things. Very often, sexual passions. Very often you find it's manifested that way in terms of people just getting into all kinds of disgusting stuff sexually because there's this passion and it's not been purified and directed towards God so they just get corrupted and they're turned here and everywhere jumping in and out of bed with this, that and the other and you know, whatever else. That's very often the way there's these passions or it's anger and frustration and that sort of passion. Instead of righteous anger when you know God and you can stand up for injustice because he's living in you, instead you just get angry about when someone pushes in front of you in the supermarket queue. That's where your anger's fired there. You heard about a guy who got killed in Sainsbury's recently for jumping in the front of the queue. Stepping in front of the queue, he's a punched and killed him. That's what you call misdirected anger. Anger's okay. Anger can be a very good thing. In fact, there's probably not enough anger in the church. When bad stuff happens, we just kind of, we're used to it now. No, we should feel anger about abortion. We should feel anger about injustice. We should feel anger about Zimbabwe and things you see around the world. You should, should feel anger. It should stir your prayers, you see, because it's guided towards God. But if there's ignorance, the passions are there. And Peter says, don't be conformed. Resist. You need to resist. The Christian life must have an element of resistance in it. Must. Sometimes people come to me and say, Steph, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling with lust. Or I'm really struggling with losing my temper. And you know my response? Good. It's when you stop struggling that I'm worried. Huh. Yeah? It's when you give up the fight. We all struggle, don't we? We all struggle. The passions of our former ignorance are constantly trying to get away in through. Satan loves to use those things, try and get away in. But, but if, we, if we resist, that's good. We're resisting the devil, we're resisting those things. We're not being conformed, it's a battle, but we're, at least we're fighting. But when we stop fighting, that's when you think, oh dear, oh dear. Just give it a time, and you'll, first you go passive, and then you start to comply. 
And then before you know it, you get washed away. No, no, no. Don't be conformed. That's spiritual warfare. Now, some people struggle with this. Some people, I've heard people say things like, yeah, but it just feels like I'm not really being me. It's an interesting one. I say, you know, it feels, I know a guy, godly guy, ran off with another, uh, another man's wife. But their kind of response was, well, it just felt so, it felt so kind of, you know, you could hear Motown in the background, you know. It felt so right. Yeah, it felt so right. And it, it felt like if we hadn't done it, we wouldn't have been being true to ourselves. Satan's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. You can't live like that. You can't live by what sometimes feels right. Now, what does the Bible say? What does God say? What does God say? God says that's wrong. God says, I hate divorce. God says, be true to the wife of your youth. God says, don't go near the adulterous door. Don't even go near. You pass by a door, you're invited, you're playing with fire. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's the Bible. It's clear, clear as crystal. Resist. Resist the passions of your former ignorance. Don't conform to them. Don't be swept along by them. But praise God, it's not just negative. It's not just what you don't do. Because I think very often Christians have been known for what they don't do. They don't get drunk. They don't sleep around. They don't gossip. What do they do? Well, here's what we do too. What does it say? What are the words here? It's lovely. But, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Now, to a lot of people, that doesn't sound like much fun. Let's be honest. Some of you might think, this is not like a fair swap. I have to resist the passions, which look so enticing sometimes. I have to resist those, and then be holy. Holiness has got a bad reputation. Anyone notice that? What comes to mind when I say holy? If you enjoy swinging incense, I'm sorry about that. Because something. <laughs> Boring. Passive. It's about what you don't do. I don't do that, I'm holy. I don't do that, no, I'm holy. I don't do that. Passive. Religious. It's not got a good press. What is it? What is holiness? Well, here's, here's a clue. Here's a clue. The next sentence. Since it's written, you be holy, for I'm holy. It's about copying God. Now, another thing that's got bad press in our culture is not just um, holiness, but copying. Have you ever noticed this? Copying's got a bad press. Copying is biblical. Our culture's all about being original. Have you noticed this? Levi got bought a t-shirt for his birthday, a lovely t-shirt, but the boast on it is, I'm 100% original, something like that. And it's like, you know what? None of us are. Sorry. Sorry. In one sense, you are, yeah, every snowflake's different. I know, okay? I know, yeah? There'll never be another you, yeah, I know, okay? But we're not original. We absorb constantly, don't we? Different things we see in different people. And we put it through the... I put it through the Steph machine. You put it through the whatever you're... And then it comes out again. It's not really original. You saw it and you liked it. But I'll have that. Or even if you didn't think that, it just, by osmosis, it goes in. Goes in. You see, I was watching little kids playing football the other day. Some of them, their moves and their whole body language, it's like, it's like watching the Premiership. It's like sort of four or five. But their whole body language is Premiership. But what is that? They've absorbed it. That's what we do. We absorb, we put it through, and we bring it out. 
We copy. Copying has got a very, very bad press. Exams. What do you do when you do your exam? What do you do? You write with one arm. What do you do with the other arm? You do an exam. What do you... Guard it. Guard it. Because someone might copy. Yeah. Or what do kids get one up about? Ah. Basically going, Levi keeps copying me. I said, that's a really high compliment. That's a really special thing. He's copying you. Wow, if someone copies you, they're saying, they're saying that you, what you're doing is really, really good. It's not a negative thing. If people mimic you, that's, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? What does he say? He says, imitate me. Doesn't he? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Copy me. Copy me. Copycat? You're supposed to be a copycat. You know that? God wants you to be a copycat. He wants you to be a mimicker. He wants you to be an imitator. Do it. Now, because you put it through your little machine, Adam machine, Dave machine, whatever machine you've got, you put it through, it'll come out a bit different to the glory of God, right? But, copy. Copy God. You think, this sounds a bit easy. That's the Christian life, copying God. What does Ephesians 5.1 say? Be imitators of God. What does God do? Do it. You see, because if I see a situation... My tendency is to, is to, unless I'm thinking about it, my tendency is to respond to it in an ungodly way very often. Yeah? You understand what I mean? So maybe, you, maybe you're on a train and, you know, someone sits down and they've just, they've just clearly been drinking for days and not changed their clothes for days. And been to the toilet in their clothes as well. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? They sit on a tube and there's like this invisible kind of force field around them. Two seats that way and two seats that way. And everyone else, outside that force field, everyone's like that, heads in armpits, you know, it's just packed. But it's this force, and you think, how do I respond now? Because everything in my senses, my sense of smell, and everything else, and what people think of me, cries out, obey the force field. When I look at the imitators of God, what, what do I then think? Actually, I want to just make a statement here. I want to show this guy that, I want, and I want to sit down and make eye contact and just say, how you doing? Why? I want to be an imitator of God. And so you see, that's part of the Christian life. That's being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think we imagine it'll be like, oh, you know, have you seen The Princess Bride? Isn't that film Princess Bride? There's a great moment in the end where, what? Yeah, it's a great film. It's a great film. Oh, it's for the kids, you know, but, and it, it's just, <laughs> one of the heroes in it, he, he, his, whole, his whole thing in the film is to, is to really find the six-fingered man who killed his dad so he can kill him. And uh, he needs guidance at one point, and so he gets down on his knee, on his knee like this, and he holds his sword out, like his, his, old, his, old, his dead dad's sword, and he holds it like this, and he begins speaking to his dad, and he needs to be kind of led to uh, the man in black who's going to help him kill the six-fingered man. So, great movie. So he's like this, and he starts uh, muttering away, and then Andre the Giant, um, who's... He's watching. He doesn't quite know what's going on at this point, but he's there. And then, and then, and then he goes, oh. and he's like, he sort of like this. And it's all like this. And then, dunk, into a tree. He thinks, great. And he leans on the tree like that. And then, the tree opens and down to the cave. It's fantastic. But, very many Christians, I think, think that that's being led by the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like where today, Lord? <laughs> No. Here it is, look. Get to know God. Get to know what he's like. Copying. Copying. Bit practical, isn't it? 
You think, what if I don't have the strength? And you say, God, I know in this situation you would do this. Everything in me cries out, no, please fill me with the Spirit. Now I'm going to do it. Be imitators of God. Be holy. Holiness is loving the unlovely. It's not boring. It's not easy. <laughs> but it's not boring. Holiness is when you just decide, I'm going to live in an opposite spirit from what's around me. Holy means holy, it means set apart. There's the lump of normal stuff. Holy is set apart. So everyone's worrying about money, credit crunch, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be holy. I'm not going to worry about it. Holiness. I'm going to live free from anxiety. Holiness. See how that works? It's fun. It's good. Everyone around me is miserable and likes to moan. I'm going to be holy. Yeah? I'm going to be holy. Set apart. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to moan and whinge and complain. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give God thanks. Is this making sense? Yeah? So you say, now what's, what's, the, what's the way of the world in this situation? I'm going to be different by the power of God. I'm going to copy God. See, the Bible says the whole world's under the sway of the evil one. So the way of the world tends to oppose, oppose God. So you say, what's the, and what's the way of God's way of the kingdom? Right. Holiness is living in the kingdom even though I'm in the world. It makes a difference and it makes an impact. That is what Peter is teaching here. Holiness is a lot more than just not doing certain things. It's looking, instead of being filled with booze, instead of being filled with cannabis, instead of being filled with pornographic images from the internet, it's saying, no, I'm going to go to a different source. And I say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. Fill me with power. Fill me with purity. Because I want to live differently. It's about constantly coming back to God and saying, God, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. It's keeping your head up and you keep turning to him who is the Holy One and it's like saying, I want to be like you. It's a like father, like son thing. It's a chip off the old block thing. That's what God's after. He's after, he's after, he's after. It's like, it's, it's the same in every, every family. It's just reflective, natural, reflective, spiritual. So we're trying to bring our kids up. We're trying to get them to teach them the values that we have and absorb them so that they actually become their own values so they can live them out. Obviously, there are also certain things about us that we hope that, they, by the grace of God, they shed. <laughs> you know, and don't go into, because obviously we're aware we're not perfect. But generally speaking, we're looking to just teach them values of being grateful and not complaining and, you know, seeing God in everything. We're trying to teach them that. Well, we want to produce that in them because we recognise these are things that the Lord has taught us. We want to pass it on. Likewise, God is saying, yeah, that's what I want. I want you to copy me. I want you to be a chip off the old block. I want you to look like me. That's what God's after. I tell you, we had a great prayer meeting last week at the Pizzies. was mental. Just praise God, man. It's one of those moments where God just broke in. I don't know what it's about the Pizzies and prayer meetings, but when they rock up, the Holy Spirit does. <laughs> it was just wonderful. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And, um, you know, I spoke to even one person this week who just said, just in that moment, in that moment, just being the Holy Spirit, a few prophetic things come in, just received deliverance, really. Deliverance from, from demonic oppression that had been just subtly... Subtly but ferociously crept in over the last couple of months. Bang, gone in a moment. Everything changed. Prayer life, Bible reading, just everything changed. Just, what is it? It's a moment just when God comes. We need to keep pressing into the Holy Spirit. I tell you, in those moments where just the Holy Spirit's poured out, it looks a bit messy, a bit chaotic. I was inebriated in the Spirit, to be honest with you. I was. I, I, I just was hit by God. I was drunk in the Holy Spirit. And there was all things going on. But in those moments, you think, I'm not quite, it doesn't feel as orderly as normal. But God breaks in. And what sometimes could take months to come out of God just does. That's God. Huh? This, is, this isn't psychology. This is the kingdom of God. He just breaks in and changes things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then uh, another couple of little things and we're going to wrap it up. Um, 
And if you call him father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Now here's a little bit about the fear of the Lord. Um, Basically, even though he's our father and we're allowed to be intimate with him, we need to remember he's the judge and he judges impartially. Now what does it mean to be impartial? Any ideas? Objective, part of it, absolutely. Anything else? No favourites. That's interesting. If he judges impartially, what are the implications? Because what if someone who's not his child, someone who doesn't know him, someone who's never given their life to the Lord, what if they are being selfish, lazy, whatever? And then what if I do? What are we being taught there? What's the implication? Judge judge the same. Any thoughts? Objections? Go for it. Um, so you say a non-Christian and a Christian can judge the same. I'm trying to make sense of what this passage teaches. Go on. Well, I'm just going to say that um, surely uh, God would look at the Christian and see the, the righteousness of Christ in okay. him. Okay, okay. So we'll, we'll um, judge him according to what Christ has done. Okay. So how do we make sense of this passage? What is Peter teaching here? So, th- so your sin will be judged impartially, but y- you as a person won't be. But the punishment is different because Jesus has taken punishment for us. For right. Person, we have right. Christ. Yeah. Not, so even though it's just as bad whether yeah. we do it or they do it, yeah. we're punished different or not punished differently. <laughs> okay. Could it be that there are consequences for sin, whether you're a Christian or not? You're all judged by the same standards. Right. But those who are in Christ, ultimately, you still get judged. For the sin There's some very good things coming through here. I think, I think, let's just, just follow it through. It's good, eh? Yeah? Thinking doctrine together, right? So, absolutely, I think, I think in terms of, there are temporary consequences very often, okay? Which is the same for the Christian and non-Christian. Yeah? If I go and stab someone, a non-Christian goes and stab someone, we're both in the dock, we both get sentenced. Yeah? Impartial. Yeah? Absolutely. But that, nevertheless, you could argue, it's not necessarily, well, I guess it is God in a sense, but it's also kind of the legal system under God. But then let's look at eternal, internal consequences. So eternally, so, okay. So if as a Christian then, I just totally, pretty much neglect what God's done, I'm a believer in that, but you know, I just do my own thing pretty much a lot of the time. When I get to heaven, does God say, you know what, Jesus just totally died for all of that, so it doesn't really matter, you're in just the same way as anyone else. No, yes. Interesting. Okay, Dan? You suffer loss. Okay. Okay. Here's the deal, listen. I am stricter with my kids than any other people's kids. Yeah? I'm stricter with my children than someone else's children. If I see another kid donk another kid in the nursery, I think, I see my kid donk another kid in the nursery, I'm going to take some action. Yeah? Now, what's going on there? Well, what's going on there is this, because that's my daughter, my son, they're mine, I'm invested in them, I'm going to train them through that and speak and bring correction. Yeah? 
Now, in the same way, I believe here's what the Bible teaches. That if a believer sins and just, he's not learning, he's not just, he's made a mistake, he's just going in an ungodly direction, he's just persistent, he's not, he's living with unconfessed sin and these kinds of things, then the Lord will take you in hand as his child. As his child, that's the point, and will discipline you. He won't say, oh, sorry, Jesus died on the cross. He will discipline you, say, because Jesus died on the cross, you're my child, but look, come on, come on, look, look what I've done for you, I've made you mine, look at the lengths I went to to make you my child. Now, come. And he will discipline us with a, with a, with a vigour and, an, and with a zeal, and in a different way than how God will deal with someone who's an unbeliever because they're not his child. So what Peter's teaching him is this, even though you're a believer, listen, don't take sin lightly, God is going to deal with you on stuff. And it's because you're his child and it's out of love, but nevertheless, it's still not pleasant when you get chastised. <laughs> it's not. It's not. You know, there's a twinkle in his eye. He knows it's coming out of love. But you know, if you've ever done this, you've been around the track a few times, you know God's been saying stuff and you've just ignored it and you've and you kept your game around and then, then he comes in and he brings some discipline. You're like, this is painful. And why is it? It's because you didn't listen. You didn't listen. And it's because you're his child. It's not rejection, it's acceptance. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's God's reproof is showing you that he's one, you're one of his. But listen, it should develop in us a healthy fear of the Lord. When we say, I don't want to, I don't want that. I, what, we should be able to say what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. We make it our ambition to please him in all things. Yeah? We know he's pleased with us, but we want to please him. That's, you see that naturally, didn't you? My kids know I'm pleased with them. But you know what? They want to please me. That's how it should be with us. It's the fear of the Lord. We act diligently with these things. And then here's the final thing, just to, just to nail it, as always. He says, this is why, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, silver, gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. What other argument do you need? Peter, Paul, John, Jude, they always take us back to the cross. Always, listen, remember, don't forget, don't forget, the Son of God poured out his life for you. That must be your bottom line as a Christian. That must be your bottom line. When the temptation comes and you think, oh, I really want to do this, what stops you? Because sometimes it won't be your feelings. Sometimes it won't be your zeal. None of that will be there. What is it? It's no. Jesus had to die for that. I'm not going to do it. Yeah? I'm not going to get drunk. Because the Bible says, don't be drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. doesn't glorify God. When I'm drunk, I say stupid things. And I do things I regret. I'm bad enough and I'm sober. <laughs> I don't need to get drunk make any work. You know? I, I just, I don't want to be doing that. Yeah? And so I, don't, I remember when I was going through a really dark time as a Christian. And it's some kind of tunnel. I don't know what it was about. Various things going on. It was dark. Before I was a Christian, drink was my thing. And very often your weakness... Often is what it was before. And I remember just, my friend invited me out to the pub. And you know, everything in me said, yes, I'm coming. But I knew that if I went, because of where I was at, it was a dark time. I knew I was just putting myself in the way of temptation. I said, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. Because I mustn't sin. Now we all stumble in many ways. And when we do sin and confess that he cleanses us, but there still must that be that in us which says, I'm not going to do it. You know? Why? Because he shed his blood for me. He shed his blood for me when I'm on the mountaintop and when I'm down there. He shed his blood for me. He's the son of God. I can't fiddle around with that. You can't play around with that. You can't take that lightly. 
You can't take it like it's the gospel. The Son of God had to die for my sin. It's so serious. I can't just sin deliberately. I can't do that. And Peter says, let that be your motivation. Remember. Remember. It wasn't silver or gold. God didn't buy you back, ransom you with silver or gold or bulls or sheep or this. He ransomed you with his one and only Son. What a God, eh? What a God who died for our sins and rose again and now reigns forever. The great King Jesus. As we resist the passions of our former ignorance, as we copy God in holiness, and as we fear the Lord and remember the blood of Christ shed for us, we will be fortified and protected increasingly against Satan's attacks. Let me urge you, take it seriously. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Lord God, we just want to thank you, Father, that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son. Bottom line, bottom line, bottom line, you gave your one and only son for us. And we are so grateful. All of us here today, in different places, in very different places, some of us just so thrilled with you, others of us hanging on by the skin of our teeth. We say, thank you Jesus for dying for us. Thank you Jesus for laying down your life for us. Thank you Jesus for loving us to the uttermost. Thank you, Jesus, for going through with that so that we could be purchased, ransomed and born again. We give you all the glory. We give you all the thanks. We say you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of praise. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you. You've taken away our sin. We thank you. You've changed us from being strangers and aliens to being children, adopted. We thank you. You've been brought right into your family. Oh, God, you acted when we were far away. You did it in time and space and we can look back to that point and say, I know God loves me. We thank you for the gospel, Father. We thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is given because Jesus is risen. And I pray for us as a people that we will be a spirit-filled people. A spirit-filled people. Heavenly Father, a spirit-filled people. Thank you, God. If the band could come up and if the guys, if you want to just come and...